with the Ectocaf. So let's get straight to it. We now have a, a Patreon account. Somebody had asked how they want to support the Nothing But Facts live stream. Okay, we can't lie and say that we don't need support, but uh, support is going to be is, is greatly appreciated at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. All right, patreon.com backslash Safina Society, and that is basically going to be our page to communicate with everybody on certain things, and also all of our little giveaways um, will be from that site. All right, we're going to do giveaways based upon the patrons, and um, I wanted backslash Safina, but uh, apparently some fashion model or, or trying to be fashion model nailed, uh, took it, okay? Um, so... Also, I wanted to get all the Safina.com, Safina.org websites, but I think her dad, Joseph Safina, it's like a rich Safina family. They're from Florida. Her dad owns it. So I said, I'll buy it from you, right? And I was pre prepared to give him a good amount of money. So he goes, no. Uh, he goes, $50,000. I'll sell it to you for fifty grand." I was like, yeah, maybe... Um, Maybe in in in, 20, in ten years or something, fifty grand is something that's it's not what wasn't going to happen right away. Mahama, um, so PayPal is fine too. Safina at safinasociety.org is our PayPal account. Okay, so um, so we got Patreon this weekend. That's going to be a new thing, and Ryan will put that in the YouTube uh, comment section and the other comment section. And then we have our uh, uh, our partners, MeccaBooks.com. Your place for traditional knowledge. That's their tagline. And uh, anything you get from there, you know that it's going to be something that's vetted uh, from scholars of Edisonna. And then you're going to have professors one-to-one. -one. If you're not doing well in school and you need to do well or you need to take the MCATs and you need to take uh, one of these exams, then that's your place to go. LSAT, MCAT, uh, Algebra 2 Trig, all that stuff that you need help with in high school, intermediate school. You can get tutors in person if you're in New Jersey, uh, or online, virtual. All right, so I want to actually tell you a story about, um, before we begin, in terms of the MCAT. So a brother, he reached out to me, and he said, can I break my fast? Did I say the story already? Can I break my fast because I'm taking the MCAT? Many people say this, right? Can I break my fast because I have to do schoolwork? So now there's one spiritual answer, but it's sort of, I guess sort of, it's true, but it's sort of obnoxious saying basically like people want to, uh, um, people want to do, um, you know, they want to skip fasting for school. Shouldn't you, wouldn't you skip school for fasting? Some guy said uh, there was a kid who was like, oh, we're, I'm in public school. I'm not off the last 10 days. I'm like skip school. You get six days absent, right? Don't you get six uh, days that they don't count against you? Right. And then they get more and more like up to 20 that you have to repeat the grade. So it's a very generous offering. So skip school. Right. Take a couple of days off. What's the big deal? But anyway, uh, people skip their fast. They think about skipping their fast. They don't really think about like to skip school. Anyway. Um, uh, this brother, he says, I got the MCAT. It's a seven hour exam to get into medical school, which I know that because all my family members and friends, they've taken it. So then I said to him, well, you can't skip, break your fast just for the MCAT. But you can break your fast for traveling as long as the trip is halal. That's the only condition. 
So where's the MCAT? He said, Atlantic City. Atlantic City, from where we are, is two hours away. I was like, oh, you're definitely within traveling distance. I was like, what are you planning to do? He's like, I was planning to have suhoor at 4.30 in the morning, drive down, be there by 6.45, 6.30, 6.45, beat the traffic, and then take the exam at 7 o'clock. I'm like, while fasting? All while fasting. I was like, that's like insane. Even if it was outside of Ramadan, I would have traveled the night before, settled in, had a nice dinner, go to some Italian restaurant or go to get some seafood or something or come find a halal restaurant, eat there, sleep super early, like 8.30 p.m. Even that means you have to wake up, pray Isha even, even though it's makruh, but if you have some circumstance, you have to do it. Sleep early, sleep super early, and then wake up, you know, around 5.30, have a nice breakfast, and then go off for your exam at 7, right? The exam starts at 7, and it's a 7-hour exam. So it's like, even outside of Ramadan, I would have done that. He's like, oh, I never thought about this. I was like, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, that you asked, you know, someone who has experience dealing with this issue. And he did it. He went all the way down the night before, uh, and then he was considered a traveler the next day. All right, so that's in terms of these exams. So today's topic, we're going to look at some ayats of the Qur'an. Yeah, Maham is saying that she just discovered Ryan's timestamps. He needs a finger massage at the end of each episode because of typing in the timestamps. So if you're an Instagrammer, all of our questions and, and all the any subject that's unique, a unique subject that we bring up, it's all timestamped. Okay, it's all timestamped. We're going to read a little bit from such an important ayah that's just, I talked about it today at Fedge, but I want to talk about it again today, just briefly because it's so important for everybody to be aware of. And then we're going to talk about some amazing stories. Mostly their their chains are weak, like or non-existent even, but Ibn Jawji just cites them as really interesting stories. Okay. So, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, O you who believe, Sabiru wa sabiru wa rabitu, wa taqullaha la'allakum tuflihun. This ayah is so important because anytime that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ Someone should write a book just on those 11 ayahs so that you may have success, right? When Allah says, لَعَلَّ For us, لَعَلَّ means maybe. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a guarantee from Him, but the reason it's put as a maybe is if you fulfill the condition. So He will ful certainly fulfill His condition, we, uh, uh, His promise. But will we fulfill the condition? That's why the verse says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ All right? So, uh, perhaps that you may be successful. Perhaps you may be successful on our side if we fulfill the conditions. And for Allah's side, it's a promise. Okay? Isbiru wa sabiru. What's the difference between isbiru and sabiru? Isbiru is for us to be patient. Sabiru, make others patient. Like, what are we doing here? On this live stream, we're reading from books, we're reading from classical, reading your, uh, hearing from the Muslims, reading from these different books. That, that's what we do here. We just, we're going to go through every, we just read books, reading, 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 and learning. That's how we learn. And our point is to strengthen ourselves as a group. There's an age old adage, okay, that 
uh, a teacher came and he said, take a twig like this stick right here. And he tells his, you know, you know, young students who haven't heard the story before. They're like nine years old. Right. And he said, break it. And they break it. Everyone breaks their twig easily. Then he says, oh, I'll get all the twigs together. And he puts like 40 twigs together. And he said, break that. And they're all like, oh, wow, we can't break it. Right. He said, you could break every single one individually, but put all together. You can't break it. Right. This is like an old. Uh, thing that mentors give to little kids when they're like eight, nine, 10 years old, 11 years old. Okay. Ryan, had you heard that one before? Yeah. yeah. So that's the power of unity, right? And the power of togetherness, which is why the word society is part of our organization is because we have to be together all the time. So isbiru is for ourselves, but sabiru, make everyone else patient. Try to, try to encourage uh, each other to fulfill some of the difficult obligations. Ramadan is a great month for this. Nobody would do this amount of fasting, this amount of qiyam, this amount of tahajjud, this amount of recitation of Quran, if you had to do it by yourself. Because you would feel like, I'm doing all this, but the world is passing me by. Like, my competition is working, I'm fasting. My, my friends are going out, I'm doing qiyam. You would feel left out. When a person, when the whole community is doing it, how easy is it to do? Because the whole community is in sync now, right? Every, all the masajid are going to turn into night operations soon. And you know that the Christians oftentimes find this so bizarre, right? They, because they say everything of the night is from Satan. And we pretty much agree with that statement except for tahajjud, right? And except for the month of Ramadan because the Prophet he would give life to, the, to his night. And the phrase yuhi in the sunnah refers to doing all sorts of ibadat. So it'am ta'am, feeding people. A suhba, uh, as we said like last week, it was or last Saturday was all the events for the youth at Takaf. I'm telling you, they really had an impact. Some of these youth came in, showed up at 7 o'clock. There was a pre-iftar talk. They left at around 6 o'clock when Fajr was over and the Athkar were over. That's uh, 11 hours in the masjid. And 11 hours dealing, interacting with basically, let's say 50 guys, and there was, there was a sister section, but let's say 50 guys. And a couple of them are older mentor types. After the first hour, you're like, they're strangers, right? By the 11th hour, you know them. Especially tweens, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, they, they get to know you really quickly. Like, they don't have as many formalities. They don't have the barriers. Some of the high schoolers, the, the older high school age is not so fun. They're a little off aloof. And the older high school age, I found that they do really well in a gathering where they're actually the minority and the adults are the majority. Right? I actually found that they do, they, they're, I think they're more comfortable with that. So when, when, rather than like seven high schoolers and one adult, like chaperone or something, it's like awkward. But when it's like, let's say, three of three guys and three high schoolers, or six guys and six high schoolers, it seems like there's a, a better communication. And we do this all the time because uh, we go out for the um, for these youth nights, sometimes we, before COVID, right? Now it's open up again, pretty much. We, we'd go to different games and things like that, and anything light, really super light, right? Where it's just suhba. The only intention is suhba. Right is to get to know these people, just to, to talk to them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I found with that. But the tweens, grade six, seven, and eight, they they have less formality, right? They're still a little bit awestruck by you know everything in life. So I actually uh, I like that age uh, in terms of the youth 
youth type of work. And I was taking cell phones all night. That was my thing. I had a stick. I found a table, edge of a table, right? The leg of a table. I picked it up. It was like, it's a good stick. Anyone I saw with a cell phone, boom, you got poked and you handed over your cell phone. Some kids, I'm telling you, it's literally, I sell the same, the same exact reaction as a crack addict. And I was telling you, I've been at, I was at a bus stop in London one time, coming back from fetch, coming back. That means it's 5.30 in the morning or something. And uh, a crack addict came, comes up to me. Totally, their face just, what this drug destroys human beings, right? Begging, begging, like on, she was like on her knees for 5p, which is 5 cents to get, you know, she needs her, her, her next fix. Begging someone at 5 a.m., this drug has totally destroyed the human being, right? So I saw the same reaction from kids, like begging like their life was on the line. I'm like, hey, it's 11 at night. Who do you need to talk to? I was checking in on my mom. Oh, really? You're checking in on your mom. You think I'm going to believe that, right? And I'm telling you, no less than 20 times, every hour, two, three times, begging me, right, for their cell phone. This is really, really bad. And this is Isbiru Wasabiru. We're doing Musabara here, which is to teach, to try to encourage each other to, to, to do something that's difficult, which is control this issue of cell phones, especially if you have youth. I think what happened, they're on the phone so much, their brain rewired, right? It's completely rewired. Happiness and, and normalcy is, is on the phone. It's not out in the world anymore. And so you, when you take that away, that brain, it's their brains are malleable, right? So as youth, as kids, their brain completely rewired so much, so thoroughly, that that's the only avenue he knows for happiness now, right? So I took all these cell phones. I locked them up in the store. We have a little store in the masjid. Locked it all up. They went crazy, right? They went crazy. I said, listen, no problem. I'll call your mom. She can come pick you. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to leave, right? But I need my phone. I said, the answer is no. And I held their phones for about, the, the entire time until fudge. But if you have kids out there and youth out there, take the advice of a psychiatrist that I is a Muslim psychiatrist. He said, after studying the the like the neurology of this thing, like the 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 study of the brain connected to this thing, this phone is a drug. It's a poisonous drug because what it's going to do, it's going to completely rewire a child's brain. And that child will not know actual real life reality anymore. All the, their happiness and their stimulation will come just from that little screen. And all the little pop-up widgets and downloading and circles uh, going in circles and, and all these little uh, reactions that they create in social media to get you excited, to get you suspenseful, right? All that stuff, okay? Uh, it's a poison. So if we're going to do musabara, this is what we need to do musabara about is, is to control this snake. Wallah it's nothing other than a snake. And then once they're adults, even adults in their 20s and 30s have trouble with this. I would venture to even say if you haven't been conscious of it, you'll have trouble with this in their 50s and 60s. But it's going to be less harmful because your brain is more developed, plus you have memories. You, the idea of having a... Um, uh, a basis in reality or having like a, a, a standard or uh, something that is your default setting. So all uh, adults will have a default setting of what real life is, how to deal with people. That's your default setting. And then this is a new thing. 
But when you have a kid, this is his first introduction to life. And that's what you're bringing him in on. So what's his point of reference? That's the word, point of reference. What's his point of reference on existence? He has no point of reference. It's the, it's the phone. So I highly, highly recommend everybody control this issue with yourselves. And if you have kids, it's oppression, in my opinion, to deprive them of a point of reference of the actual real world. Right. And that their point of reference is mainly the phone now. So that's Isbiru wa Sabiru. Isabr is on four things essentially. Patience is on four things. Num three of them are related and one is a bit separate. The of the first three, one is the root and two are the branches. The root is the sabr on the matter of knowing what you believe. That requires patience. Anything that requires thinking requires patience. Anything that requires tahqiq or investigation requires patience. Nadar, uh, nadar is thought. So the people of nadar and tahqiq, this is a type of patience, which is the patience of the brain, which is essentially asking yourself the tough questions of what do I believe in? What is the source of truth to me? What is true to me? What do I believe in? All right. What do I consider true? Now, it's not what you consider true. Is what is the true? Rather, the, re the, the, the better question is what is true? All right. And what's my conviction? What's the basis of my conviction? So that's what uh, our Sheikh tells us here. The study of Aqidah is the first place of sabr, patience, the study of what we believe in. Secondly, is then what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second hardest one, what has Allah Ta'ala forbade us to do? And he proceeds that ahead of what he's obligated us to do because what he's obligated us to do is a lot of good things, okay? But munafiqeen, kafirin, everybody loves to do good things. It makes you feel good to do good things. So there's a second motive in terms of doing good things. And there's no harm, right? Like, how am I being harmed by doing good things? It's much harder now to avoid bad things. And only the muttaqin will truly care about avoiding bad things, especially in private. Right? When you're home alone with your wife and you get angry, holding in your anger, or with your kids, nobody sees it. It's only you who see it. But that's where the taqwa comes in. Taqwa is when nobody's... You're, this is not going to affect you publicly. It's something between you and Allah. All the stuff that goes on privately now between people... Online, that requires taqwa. So the harder of the th two things in terms of doing and not doing is the avoidance. Anything that you have to avoid for your ego is harder than anything you have to do. And that's why a lot of the, the new age types, they have no problem whatsoever uh, meditating, thanking uh, the universe, right? They have no problem being uh, having all that. What they do have problem is anybody who says no to your ego no to zina no to uh, things like that okay no, riba for some people riba if riba was uh, permitted for them they could open up you know just really be successful in their life but riba is an issue zina is an issue prophet sallallahu said the gaze is a poison arrow from the arrow of iblis with which he never fails. He never fails. 
Someone once asked uh, an elder from the Muslims, he said, when does a person lose their shahwa for women, their desire for women? He said about six hours after they've been buried in their grave. Right? Now, even when he's dead, he has shahwa. SubhanAllah. It's never going to go away. Why isn't that going to go away? Because if it ever went away, human, the human uh, population would, would be decreased. Okay? That's why I truly believe personally that anytime Allah wills to uh, annihilate a people, he lets the idea spread, ideas spread that are destructive to the to the recreation of the human being, the repopulation of the uh, uh, of the people. All of the uh, thoughts and all the ideas about when it comes to sexuality that are not that do not end up with a human being are bad. Okay, in the sense that in general, not in specific, it's halal to take birth control, for example. It's halal to do that. It's halal for a husband and wife to say, plan out and say, you know what, let's let's have a kid here, right? That's at this in two years. We were traveling now. We're a bit busy. We're not be able to give it our due attention. That's halal. But in general, marriage produces kids, right? That's what we're talking about. In general, marriage produces kids. Anything that does not produce it produces kids with haq, with their haq of knowing who their mom and dad is. That's how you get a stable human being. Anything that produces that is outside of those two conditions, producing human beings and fulfilling for their kid his right that his mom and dad were committed to each other as husband and wife, and he knows who his mom is, he knows who his dad is. Even if they get divorced, but at least when they produced me into the world, they were committed to each other. This wasn't like a, an accidental thing that they were doing. Anything like that is destructive to the human being. And if Allah wills evil for a people, he spreads those ideas, he makes them love those ideas. So your population is going to be it's going to implode, right? It's it's going to it's going to go down. In any event, prohibitions, then obligations, then the fourth thing is things that happen in the world. And in terms of the obligations, what's the hardest of obligations? Financial obligations. Yeah, is a financial obligation. Hajj is fifty percent financial, fifty percent physical. Salah and Som is one hundred percent physical. So is the shahada, of course. Shahada is one of the pillars, right, of our belief. So financial obligations on your, uh, when you get married, it's a financial obligation. We, we, we have, the Quran has set down certain roles for this, okay? It is certain things, you want to discuss it amongst yourself, husband and wife can discuss how they want to handle things by themselves. Certain things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a statement. For example, your inheritance money. When you die, you get to move in your will. You get to put one third of your wealth to a non-inheritor. Other than that, it's not your money anymore. You're dead. It's not your money, right? It's going to go where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's going to go. It's going to go for your burial. Then it's going to go for your your bequest, anything that, or, or your debts first, your debts that you owe people. Then it's going to go to the bequest, any bequest that you made one th maximum one third outside of the inheritors. Then it's going to go to Dawid Furud, the people who have a a percentage cut or a fraction cut. Like say your wife, she gets one eighth. Your mom, she gets one sixth. You have only one daughter, she gets one half. Okay. Or and then after the Furud are done, then it goes to the Asaba, the rest of the money. The remainder goes to the like the sons. Right? Or if there's children are mixed, sons and daughters, then it's mixed. And the son will get two shares. Allah has made that decree, khalas, game over for you. 
you don't talk about it. Likewise, when you get married, so why does a son get two shares of the uh, uh, of his sister? Because in the in another chapter of fiqh, Allah has obligated the maintenance of the wife and the children. A woman is never obligated to to maintain herself, right? She's never obligated to put a roof over her head or clothes on her back or food on her table. She's never obligated to do that. Her dad has to do that in the beginning. And then her husband has to do that afterwards. If she wants to contribute, that's a sadaqah from her. That's optional. We don't have 50-50. What does it mean? What is this going Dutch? Right? Does that mean 50-50? You heard of that before, Ryan? Dutch? I don't, I'm not really familiar with these terms, but I think that's what it is. 50-50. We knew a guy, subhanAllah. My mom, she had a patient. She was a pediatrician. She had this, this couple. Right, and the the wife would sort of laugh it off, but she really was secretly like upset about it. Everything in their life was fifty fifty, okay, fifty fifty, even the birthday card, so for her. You believe that? For her, he got her a birthday card. She paid fifty percent of it. What? Subhanallah. We we met a woman. She was a real estate agent, and we were in Connecticut when uh, I was uh, working there. And we're looking for a place to get. And this lady, she takes us around. And she, she's like, well, how do you live? Blah, blah, blah. Well, what's your income? It's like, I'm only one who works at that time. So it's just going to be on me. So she's like, wow, that's really amazing. I was like, I mean, it's like that's wedge of us. It's like the norm, right? And she's like, no, no, I'm, we're 50-50. Me and my husband, I got to work, right? This woman is like 70 years old. We sat there talking to her about Islam. She almost got teared up. She almost teared up. I think it was not just she was touched by it, but she was also so sad for herself. Here you have 70 years old, right? And she's shown homes to people in their 30s, right? And she's like, I just wish I could just take, you know, a day off or I can be finished with this work. No concept of financial. So if your mother or father are in need of money, you can't give them zakah. You're obligated to take care of them. Right. So financial obligations are the hardest kind of obligations upon most people. I would say that lowering the gaze is the hardest prohibition and paying is the hardest obligation. Right. I would say that's how it is. And lowering the gaze is really hard from the other perspective that looking is so easy. When you're walking down the street, you can't help but look. You have to have your eyes open. So that's why eyes are never connected to a major sin. But they're the fastest route to the corruption of the heart. Take that as a principle. The eye is never connected to a major sin, but it is the fastest route to the corruption of the heart. And the eye, if it's if the sins of the eye, if the minor sins of the eye are not repented from, they become a major sin. This is what we're doing here. Isbiru wasabiru. We got to talk together about things that are difficult. They're not easy because when you realize, oh, well, 50 people in the chat are also trying to do this, it becomes easy, right? That's what I say about the masjid. Go to masjid. If you're a Muslim, go to masjid. Because when you when you become a Muslim, you're 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 a convert. Which alhamdulillah, we had two shahadas this this past weekend. Um, when you you start having doubts, like did I make the right decision? Right? Did I do the right thing? But if if three four times a week you walk into a building, and there are a hundred other people who are doing it, right? You're like, ah, oh, yeah, I think I pretty much made the right decision. And who are these hundred people? Is it like one sector that they have a bias? No, I'm, I'm seeing guys in scrubs, like medical scrubs coming out. 
there's a, an RN, there is a PA, there is a physician, there's a, a youth, there's a little girl, there's, it's all age groups, the whole society is here, right? Whereas you can't always say that about churches, for example. Churches tend to be ethnic. Like we, we had a church next door to us that went bankrupt during COVID, but that was a church that was solely for African-Americans. Across the street from me, where I live, like uh, on the main road where I live, there's like a, a, a millennial hipster church, right? Where it's all kombucha juice and stuff like that. And that's going to only attract a certain crowd. It's like a club, right? Then there's the Korean church. Wait a second. God, supposedly your God did not come down in Korea. So why would you limit it to the Korean church? Because of the language. They don't have the same thing. The one thing that we have, you cannot alter the language of the Quran. You can translate it. Even that was discussed. You should say the meaning of the Quran. It's not a translation of the Quran. It's the translation of the meaning of the Quran, right? The Quran, the Salah must be done in Arabic. So Arabic is one language. So why they have the Korean church is because they, it's the same Protestant stuff, right? But they do it in Korean language. So it's ethnic. So churches don't even have this. So this is one of the, I would say, the miracles of Islam. Just walking into Masajid anywhere in the world, I know exactly what's going to happen. And everyone's welcome into it. Nobody's going to come say, oh, this is, this is a masjid for Syrians only. This is a masjid for Turks only. It will never come out of someone's mouth. They, they might not salam you. They might not be friends with you. But nobody could stop you from showing up. And by the way, I mean, I don't even blame people. If I go into an all-Turkish masjid, and I, there is a couple in England. There's a whole street called Seven Sisters. It's all little Turkish operations. And there are a couple of masjid there. If you go into one of these old-school Turkish mosques, these are some old Turkish people. They hardly speak English, right? It's not, I'm not, they're not, it's not the expectation that they're going to just be so warmly welcoming. I don't care about that. I'm not going for them. I'm going to, for my own salah. So, when, when you hear people whining about this, oh, I went to the masjid, nobody was friendly. You, are you going to make friends? Or are you going to do your ibadah and leave? Go do your ibadah and leave. What's your business with, with well, are you, well, you going to write a review? A Google review? Right? This is not a restaurant. This is not a social club. Go do your ibadah and move on with your life. So I never whine or complain about communities in masjid. If I don't like it, I just don't go. But why do I need to complain? Right? As if they owe me some kind of hospitality this is not a hotel right that they owe me hospitality now let's move to the fourth thing the fourth thing that you have to have sabr with and you need to do musabara for others isbiru wasabiru is the calamities of life and that is impoverishment misfortunes famine drought in the in, in certain areas california always having these forest fires they're having drought there's a really a lot of issues out there yeah prices going up there's an avian uh, a flu these birds are dying and they're not producing eggs when they had the flu so the price of eggs goes up okay so you have to have musabara with that you always have to that's why Sayyidina Ali his son came up to him one time at Hassan and said father so-and-so He's fallen on hard times. Can you give him some money? He said, of course. The man came and he gave him some money. And, and Sayyidina Ali was really upset. 
And then his father said, uh, his son, Hassan, said, Father, you relieved his burden. He said, yes, but he came to us. We should have been looking out for him. Right? He's one of our you know, companions. He's one of our supporters. He had to come to us. Then we didn't do our job. We should have went to him and asked how he's doing. Right? And we should have had our eyes open on looking. Is he losing weight? He's not coming. Whatever is happening, that means he doesn't have food, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We should have went to them. And that's the attitude that, uh, and that's the value of the masajid. You go to the masajid, you see someone limping, you know something happened. You see someone hasn't shown up for a few weeks, you call them. You see what's going on, right? That's the musabara, isbiru wasabiru. This is the musabara of things that happen to people in the world. Calamities of life, that's what they are. Now, the calamities of life is the bulk of tribulations that people have, but there's a harder tribulation, the success of life. The success of life is a much harder calamity to face than the calam than than hardships of life. Success of life it softens you. Success of life makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel that you're the one in charge. That you're the one who has power when you're not. The success of life is extremely dangerous, right? It's extremely dangerous to be to to, to have super success because you start feeling that you're in charge. You start feeling that you're powerful. The, even the Quran says they think that they're they have so much success they think they're in charge of it okay they think that they're in charge of it right it's a big problem so success is a bigger test than failure so these are the four what does rabitu mean rabitu means get ready for war ribat is extremely important the ribat is that you you get you you watch out the for the enemy, right? Uh, in the uh, in the old times, you used to have a city, and then you'd have these citadels. Usually, you had one on uh, above each gate of the city, or uh, there's eight or four citadels depending on the shape of the city, and you sat there watching. Okay, you sat there watching. All right, uh, for people to, uh, who, if there are enemies coming. So this is murabata. Okay. And the Prophet said, What is the ribat of the ego? You want to, let's say, you want to engage in spiritual war? All right, I'll tell you how to do spiritual war. Never be off wudu. The Prophet said, Al wudu and al makari. Wudu when you least want to make wudu. Just go for today or tomorrow and never be off of wudu. Because you say to yourself, what we all say, hey, I'm a regular person. What do I have to do with war, right? I'm never going to see a war in my life. I'm never going to be... 99% of people in the modern world will never be part of a war at all in their life, right? So what, what is my war? So spiritual war. Don't ever be off wudu. Try it. See how difficult it is. Especially here living in these western countries where there are no uh, no bathrooms for this so i always look for the baby changing rooms those are good you get to go in lock the door right baby changing room no one's ever there you get to take your jacket off roll your sleeves up take your shoes off make a proper wudu right then dry it all up clean it all up and leave and nobody who's staring at you no weird situations
Just try it. To have will do all the time. And then kathratul khuta ila masajid. Go to the masajid a lot. Eat once a day. Go to masjid once a day. Pray any salah in the masjid. See how your state changes. And then intidharu salah ba'da salah. Then at a higher level than that, go for one obligate, obligatory prayer and stay until the next obligatory prayer. In the summertime, it's usually maghrib to isha. Right? And usually masajid, they have some nice things, especially if they have land. They might have like an outdoor area and they might have some courts, basketball courts for the shabab youth. It becomes a community center. So you go in for maghrib at around 8.30, hang out all the way till like 9.30 or 10 or something like that. Or 8 to 9.30, something like that, which is always nice. Right? So from one obligation to the next. In the wintertime, it's Juma, and we just wait for Asr. Right? There's no point in leaving because you're going to pray Asr anyway. Right in and the and the window so short, which actually might change because we don't longer do daylight savings, right? So we're gonna see how that affects things. So I think Asr will still be at around three thirty rather than two thirty. So that those are the three things the Prophet said are the greatest deeds for a person to do. Always stay on wudu, or wudu in in the karhiyat or where you where you dislike to do it. Kathratul khuta ila masajid, taking a lot of steps to the masajid. And then intidharu salah ba'da salah. فَذَلِكُمُ الرِّبَاطِ ذَلِكُمُ الرِّبَاطِ ذَلِكُمُ الرِّبَاطِ Prophet Sallallahu said it three times. That's the ribat of a mu'min. The ribat, the spiritual war of a believer. Okay? Thorough performances of wudu. All right? Frequent attendance of the mosque and waiting for one prayer to the next. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala then says, Oh my angels, look at these servants of mine. They fulfilled one obligation. And they're waiting for the next. You think it's a light thing? It's a big deal to do this. Right? Whenever you do this, and make the intention. If I'm going to be in the masjid for class, and then class is going to end at Maghrib, but you're going to be like, wait, I'm here for Dhuhr, then Asr, then Maghrib. Right? Make the intention of ribat. Spiritual warfare against your nafs. Hawa, shaitan, and dunya. If you do this, you're going to find your, your hawa transforming. If you persist upon this. Your, your hawa will transform. What is a sign of wilaya, some people said? And there's even, it's 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 attributed to the Prophet ﷺ that he said this. He says, when the hawa of abd, the whim of abd, the, the ladha, the sweetness of abd, is in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the empty stomach. When that's your whim, when that's what you enjoy, right? that's the hawa of someone who's completed their iman. Or he's he has ihsan in his iman. And the whim of the munafiq is in his shahwat, his desires, his false desires, zina. This is in Ibn al-Jawzi's book, his chapter on zina. Right? He quotes these ahadith. Now, this is a book on spirituality and and, and stories and wav, so he does use a lot of weak hadiths in there, right? But we can use them. And he says that. The, the whim of a mu'min is in dhikr and the empty stomach. And he finds hardship when he has to eat a lot and talk to a lot of people. He finds it's like takalluf. It's like, uh, it's really difficult for him to do. But the munafiq, he finds salah and saum extremely difficult and burdensome, but he finds zina and indulging in food and backbiting to be sweet. So if you want to ask yourself, what's your state? Ask yourself, what do you think is sweet? What do you consider to be sweet? 
And I, around this point, if you fast properly and you're you're really in a good situation and you don't have too much food for suhoor, okay, you don't need it anymore. A little bit is enough. Some yogurt with honey on it and a cup of water or two cups of water or a big cup of water. That's enough. What do you need anything more for? A couple of dates. Uh, you should be doing, we should be focusing on the tahajjud and taking advantage of that time. But you're going to wake up and you're going to find yourself so energy energetic. You're going to find yourself lean because your stomach's not filled with gunk. You eat a big suhoor and you pray fetch and sleep. Your stomach is filled with gunk. Your, your, your stomach is just, you're like, wake up slow and you don't sleep well. You don't wake up well. You're miserable. But when you keep, train yourself on the hunger, you actually enjoy the empty stomach. Does anyone out there like enjoy the empty stomach? It's like a great feeling, especially when you do some push-ups or some exercise, a little bit of like moderate exercise on an empty stomach, there's something great that happens to the human body. It's the empty stomach, you start loving it. And dhikr is a shahwa. I cannot tell you how many times, and I'm sure everyone, all the other people in the community have the same idea and the imams, how many times I'm completely just exhausted going to the dhikr nights, right? Or whether it's any time, so just so tired, and you sit for the book, and then all the people are there, and you start the dhikr, and all of a sudden, all your energy is back. I go another two hours, right? Subhanallah. That's because the dhikr Allah, it gives in, in uh, it, it's it's it gives energy to the body, right? It gives you and it puts you in a whole nother state, so you can go on forever. Even though to get there to do it itself was difficult. That's why do it all together the prophets this ayah is saying all together because if i had to do it myself i would never never have done it but the fact that it's like obligatory as a something on the schedule of the masjid you got to get up you got to do it and all of a sudden once you see like all the guys there all your energy's back right and you can go another you can do another two hours that's why the work this this work in a jama'ah is so important then he says what meaning that the motive of the, all this you have to have a motivation if we've so spoken so much on this it's so important you have to have a motivation and that motivation ha, there are levels of motivation of acceptability they're all there are many acceptable motives and there are better there's good and better a good motive is i need help because i'm in trouble it's a good motive a better motive is Allah has amazing things that he created and I want one. That's how simple it is, right? Allah has fadl. Allahumma tafadl alayhi bifadlik. You have a lot of nice things. I want one. But who are you going to for it? You're going to Allah. That's better. What's best? The best is I am worshiping Allah here because he deserves it. What he has done, who he is, he just he's worthy of this worship. He, he's worthy of this ibadah. Just by who he is as the creator, that's the best. And it's a pure love for Allah. So there's good, better, and best. All of them, all of them are good. Okay, But there's good, better, and best. So you have to have a motive. But what's the motive? You, you won't believe that Allah Ta'ala uh, will give you anything if you don't believe he's generous, if you don't know his attributes. So you have to know his attributes. So what taqullah in this situation, it means keep Allah's attributes on your mind. Keep Allah himself 
on your mind. Know his attributes. That's why it's so important to always read the books about dua. You read, you'll get so many attributes out of that. How Allah Ta'ala is generous. How he's capable of all things. It's extremely important to always be reading and listening to those types of lectures that are about dua. Because it is the mukh of ibad. It's the, it's the brain or the bone marrow of ibad. It's usually translated as two different things. Brain marrow or bone. It's the essence of the ibadah. Is I'm in need. I'm a creation. I'm in need. I don't have anything. I didn't, I didn't even create myself. And you're the one who can supply my need. Or want. Or desire. Or anything. That is the essence of this relationship. We don't have in this relationship like whatever they call it in Buddhism, nirvana, where you disappear. If you disappeared, how are you talking about it? Right? Like they, So they, you disappear in the creator. Yeah, we have states like that. We call that fana. It's a state, but it's not the permanence. If No one's going to be in a better state than the prophets, right? And the prophet says, oh Allah, grant me. So they recognize their own existence. They didn't have this sense of disappearance but some people say no there's baqa after fana there's baqa which is that his whim and his desire is solely with what allah has that's it whatever allah brings that's he's going to make sure that that's what he, he he loves it whether it's a command of the sharia or an event in the world in his life if allah brings it i'm going to love it so that's his fana in that and his baqa is an establishment of the sharia an establishment of the sunnah Include which includes recognizing himself like mustaqil, right? making dua, not mustaqil as in outside of his qudra, of course, but uh, what they call in the religious studies, I thou relationship, me and you. They call they 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 talk about this sort of like a philosophical thing, a me and you relationship. Whereas there was it was basically one of these mystic, he was like a, a, a Jewish mystic, and he wrote this book about how. As, as long as you're saying, oh God, give me, then it's me and it's you, then you're recognizing your own independent existence. We say no. We recognize that we are an independent, not from his power, but we are a creation that is not separate nor connected to the creator, right? We're not, we don't believe in this wahdas al-wujud, that you are just uh, one with the creator as if you're not something that is different from the creator. No, you are different from the creator. You are a ghayr. You are not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not a part of Allah. So when we say disappear in Allah, it's disappear with his whim. The hawa of his nafs has completely dissolved into Allah's will. Whatever Allah wills for him. If Allah wills for him to get sick, he accepts it and he follows. But his outward action is in accordance to the sharia, which says that it's recommended or permissible to take medicine to make dua so that's what we're talking about there all right so uh that's it for today in terms of that uh this these four things that are the keys to tawfiq and to success and with that i promised that i would tell you a story from one of the awliya al-salihin and this is in ibn al-jawzi's chapter on zina he has a chapter on, on, on the necessity of avoiding zina and being that this is one of the most important things that we need for musabara and murabata, right? Which is the idea here that we have to encourage our, one another to avoid the things that are most difficult and a zina is definitely, definitely, definitely one of the most difficult things to avoid. 
but the zina of the eye is extremely difficult to avoid. And for some people, once they break the boundary of zina with actual human beings, that becomes their addiction, and it's a big problem. It's a big problem. So let's read to you this section here on a zina. And this is about a worshiper from the time of Bani Israel. He was worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a soma'a. A soma'a means he built himself a little hut. Essentially, he had worshipped and, and he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala day and night so well. He fasted every single day and Allah has caused a, some grapes to grow, a grapevine to grow over his hut. And the grapes would fall down and he would drink and he would eat from that. And he had a little stream of pure water that Allah had made and created. Then he would drink from that stream. He ate very little and he was known. His du'a was answered. People loved him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then one time, oh, a young lady, a beautiful young lady, but she was a woman of the streets, which means a woman who was not raised properly. And she came and she said, uh, can I spend the night because I'm a traveler? I'm a traveler. I'm traveling through. And the only place I could spend the night is out here in the woods. And if I do that, then I'm going to be... Uh, 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 attacked by the wolves and and the and the, and the cougars, etc. So he said, "If that's the case, then fine." So she comes in, and then she starts removing her clothes one by one, and she says, "Let's have some fun, right?" That's what she says. Okay, let's let's have a good time. He said. So he went to a corner and he said, "Oh, nefs, what do you say?" He's talking to himself. My nefs, what do you say? Matakulin. My nephew said, Wallahi, I would want to enjoy myself with her. Like, I want, I want to do it, right? He said, now, who's, who is he talking to? His, his intellect is talking to his ego. His ego says, I want to, right? He says, okay, you will be allowed to enjoy her if you can withstand the punishment of the fire. So he goes out and he gets some wood and he starts lighting up a fire. And he says, oh, nefs, if you can withstand the pain of one finger going in the fire, then you can enjoy her. So he put his finger in the fire and he took it out. It was fine. Like it burned a little bit. You ever be at a restaurant and you put your finger over the flame and the kids are like, wow. And you're like, you're doing it so fast that you don't even feel anything. He said, okay, then four fingers. Put your like your four fingers like this, put it in the fire. He put it in the fire and he took it out a little bit faster, but he still survived. He said, then put your whole hand in the in the fire. He put his entire hand and he held it in the fire until the smell of the flesh came out. The woman came looking what, what happened. He pulled his arm out and it was completely destroyed. His entire hand. She screamed so loudly, she died. She got the shot. She was like so shocked. She died right there on the spot, naked, in his house. People heard the scream, and they came running. What does the guy look like? He's got a naked woman dead in his house, right? And they immediately arrested him. They tackled him. They said, You've been a, you're a fraud all this time. You're a liar, and you're a murderer. 
then they put two and two together. They said, it's obvious. He just committed Zinna. He doesn't want to be seen, so he punched her and killed her, right? Or he, he killed her in some way. So they went out, and the word spread far and wide that that's what he did. And he, he bandaged his arm. He never told anyone the story. He just said, Hasbi Allah wa Naman There's This thing is too big for me to defend myself. Only Allah can defend me. So instead, in their law, in that time, all we do is we what we take someone who does who who is a monk who commits zina because you've not only have you corrupted the society by doing zina you corrupted the monkery the monastery you've corrupt corrupted religious worship so you should have the worst punishment of all it's true you're claiming to be the doctor and you're actually poisoning people that's far worse than being a criminal and poisoning people we expect the criminal to do that we don't expect the doctor to do that so the punishment for that person is to be sawed with his head right and as soon as the saw came down, he said, ah, oh. then he received an ilham. Hutifa bihi hatif. A hatif came down on him. And they had already changed him. And the dead woman was there. And the whole town was watching. And, Allah, and a hatif came to him. A voice came to him. And he said, don't make another noise. Because the angels of the heavens cannot bear to hear your moans. And if you make another noise, we'll destroy the whole city and save you. That's how much Allah loved him. Is that he says the angels in the heavens cannot bear. And if they can't bear it, then we will command for their sake, destroy the whole city and save my abd. So don't make another noise. And he closed his mouth. He didn't make another noise. When we're talking about fana, fana is the disappearance. We're saying the disappearance of my will and my desire in Allah's will and Allah's desire. That's what it's called. And baqa is the establishment of the sunnah outwardly with our bodies. and Inwardly and outwardly. Because there's a wisdom for the sunnah. And we're not going to know anything better than what the Prophet brought. So he remained silent until he was sawed in half completely and dead. Okay. Now here's where the story becomes something else said that they brought the woman to bury her and they left him to rot. And as they were washing her, she woke up. And she looked and saw the man saw it in half. She said, Wallah, you oppressed him. He didn't touch me. And he didn't even look at me. And he warned, and I heard him speaking to himself, saying that, oh, nefs, you can enjoy this woman who has taken her clothes off for you. And she basically wants to have a good evening. But if you can, she wants to have a good time. If you can bear the fire and he burned his hand when i smelled the flesh i came running and i saw a barren hand like a hand no skin on it i screamed i died and so check his hand he's innocent they checked his hand and they found him truly to be innocent or her story checks out so they put him together again wrapped him up wrapped her up and they buried them together they buried him together, right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala announced that her tawbah, her sins were forgiven by her testimony for the truth. She testified to the truth. So she was forgiven and he was granted paradise and they were both granted marriage in paradise, that they'd be married in paradise because she wanted her him, he wanted her. They ended up not doing the sin and she ended up saying the truth, right? So it's very similar to Sayyidina Yusuf and Zulaikha in that respect because Zulaikha wanted him. He stayed away. But Zulaikha, she told the truth 
10 years later. She framed, she, she lied in the beginning, but later on she felt bad. She told the truth. And in the Jewish story of it, like we don't have this part, but in the Jewish story, they ends up getting married afterwards. Like after the years of wealth and then the, the drought and the famine, then Sayyidina Yusuf moves on with life and he sees her on the side of the road, Zulecha, and he recognizes her, but she's become so poor. Right, she's been divorced from the from the Aziz. She's extremely poor and haggard, and he feels bad for her. So he has the caravan pick her up and take care of her, and then he makes dua over water and he sends it to her. She washes her face with that water, and some of her youth comes back to her. Like all the stress is removed, and she's got her beauty again, and they marry. That's the story of Joseph and Zulecha. I don't know what they call Zulecha in English or in the Hebrew, but that's what they say happened and this is very similar to that story that they wanted one another but they stayed in the halal and they abstained then Allah Ta'ala brought them together in paradise and in this Yusuf story it was in the dunya but in this story it's in paradise I'm telling you you have some amazing stories here okay. but that was in terms of a sabr a sabr an zina sabr for lowering the gaze and the issue of the gaze is so difficult in this world in the time that we live in today that some people have even said that all you need for wilaya to be a wali of Allah is if you lower your gaze. You know, subhanAllah. And then she died again. Immediately after she gave the witness, she died again. Right? Then they buried her and him in the same grave or next to each other. Meaning in the same yani burial uh, event. All right, folks. Let's turn now to our Q&A. And before we turn to our Q&A, I want to tell everybody that you can now, if you benefit from the Nothing But Facts live stream, you can now support the Nothing But Facts live stream and be part of a lot of giveaways that we're going to be doing. And we're going to give away books. Maybe clothes, but mainly books. We're, we're for ilm, right? And so you can do this by joining patreon.com backslash Safina Society. All right? When you get be part of that and you... Uh, contribute so that we can start inviting guests. Guests are expensive. Airfare, honorariums. Like imagine if we can invite a guest every month. So patreon.com backslash Safina Society to be part of this. Um, and then you'll be part of some nice giveaways and you'll be really part of the team at least with uh, uh, from a distance. And then if you want to buy books, your source is meccabooks.com. And if you need tutoring, it's professors1to1.com. All right, professors1to1.com. And with that, we will now turn to our stories, uh, uh, to our Q&A. Remember, it's Monday, so Monday means open Q&A. Right, it's an open Q&A today. All right, let's start with Medain. Medain says, is it permissible to pray the Turakas before Fajr if you're regularly praying all your Qadha prayers? You can, yes. Hbaz 3, that is by fatwa, not by the ruling. The ruling is no, but the fatwa is that as long as you, you have a, a set limit of, of qadat prayers that you do all the time, and like a wird of it, and you fulfilled your wird, your daily routine, or you're always fulfilling it, then you may do the sunnas that have names to them, like tahajjud, tarawih, even the raghiba. The Raghiba Til Fajr, because the Prophet said about it that it is greater than the heavens and what's in the, the earth, all of what's in the earth. And 
but you won't do the rawatib. The rawatib are like the, the, the sunnas before and after the prayers that don't have names. You won't do those. HBAS3 says, I have a decision to make between two options. Law school. Allah. Uh, I keep praying istikhara, but I can't decide. Oh, between two different law schools. So he's set on law school, but he wants to know which two schools to go to, which which of the two schools to go to. So remember, istikhara is only half of the battle. The other half is called istishara. And istishara is something where you're going to talk to people who go to both schools. You talk to graduates of both schools. Go visit the campuses of both schools. Istishara is talking to the people who are involved. So once you do istikhara and istishara, you'll get a good result. Maham says, is water permeable nail polish okay for Eid and occasional use to have on and pray? Well, technically, if it is water soluble, you have to decide that and check and do an experiment yourself. That's number one. Put it, putting it like on a, on, a, on a paper, piece of paper, and then put some drops of water there. And look at the opposite side of the paper. If it's wet, right, then it's water soluble, permeable. If it's not wet, if the paper didn't get wet, then it's false advertising. But you also have to realize that th there are some Xena rules uh, regarding makeup and things outside of the house. And you could look at the women's fiqh on that because there is some things that are warned about in terms of going outside the house with um, uh, with with makeup and that stuff. And you could go to the different pages of the uh, people who talk about that because that is an issue in fiqh. It's disallowed in fiqh. If it's, if it's in a way that it's going to get people's attention, people will be looking at you, it's one of those things that's disallowed in fiqh. Next question says, what does Rabitu mean in the ayah? Get ready for war. Rabitu, get ready for battle. That's what it means. Because your nafs is going to fight you back. Your ego is going to fight you back. The dunya is going to tempt you. Shaitan is going to fight you. It's war. Spiritual war we're here. That's what we're in. We're in a spiritual warfare. Dikr is so important. Samira says, this Ramadan, I'm left alone to make iftar for my parents and seven brothers, including some of the guests, because my mother is sick and is unable to help me in the kitchen. I feel like I missed out doing a lot of ibadah due to being busy with my college courses and cooking for the family. I was wondering how I can make the most of the last 10 days of Ramadan with this busy schedule. Um, you are, I'm assuming here that, Samira, you're older and you have these seven little boys running around, Right? seven little brothers running around if that's the case then you're like a second mother to them that's the truth but if they're older than you or they're of age if they're past buluh like past 14 they can go feed themselves to be honest with you i would never expect for example my daughter to make food for her brother who's of similar age anywhere around that age okay Unless maybe they're not allowed to turn the oven on, maybe? Is that what it is? They're not allowed to use the oven? But cooking for seven other guys as a sister? You're technically not obligated to do that. If you do it, it's a sadaqah, though. But but what, what I do understand from cultures is that sometimes there are some guys who are just lazy bums. And I always make sure I don't want there to be a resentment. So 
the young man in our family, he's got to do a lot of stuff himself. No one's going to serve him. Okay. So, because otherwise you have this resentment that happens of, you're not even my husband. You're not my dad. I'm not even, what am I even doing this? Right. Uh, go deal with yourself. Okay. So do things yourself. So if there's there, if there's some kind of imbalance of things here, uh, that's eight people you're cooking for. That's a lot of cooking. I'm not, it's not saying like one guy, one brother, two brothers, seven. So I'm not here to start a family revolution for you, but at the same time, uh, we have to look at what the obligation is and what is what is not an obligation so that there shouldn't be this resentment and waste of time. Waste of time. She said, <clears throat> two are older than me in their mid-20s and culturally, it's either my mom or me that makes the food. Hmm. Well, make the food. You, you guys serve it and you clean it up. 50 uh, uh i mean right okay well, you're not allowed to use an oven you're 20 years old you're not allowed to use an oven fine i'll cook the food you're serving it and you're cleaning it up and you're going to buy it i'm telling you this kind of things it will make someone crazy i remember one time this probably isn't like exactly related though but after one of these youth nights <clears throat> i had to drive one of these kids home who was like 40 minutes away and i was gonna be late for tarawih and Sheikh Murad was with me, but he said, like, the reward for making sure that your Muslim brother gets home safe is, like, very high. Yeah. You know, so there's still a reward in it. There's still a reward. There's still a reward. And But you, you agree, though, that that, that boy, he needed a ride, right? He didn't, uh, like, have an entitlement for a ride. Saints uh, Can't Fly says, hospitality can drive people out of Islam. Lack of hospitality. Totally. You have to have hospitality. Right? And a lot of people don't really have uh, a sense. Like what I'm saying about some of these ethnic mosques, they don't have a sense of what people need when they're coming into Islam. Like they may not be convert aware. If you know what I'm saying, I mean by that. Consciousness of what the convert's life is like. And that's definitely an issue. Sharifa says, this comment is about something you mentioned way before. Is night activity during Ramadan also easier encouraged because the shayateen are locked up? That's a great point. Yeah, because the Prophet ﷺ always said, once night comes, go home. But at Ramadan, shayateen are locked up. Right? So that's why night activity is, there's encouragement there. It's a good point. What's your, what are your thoughts? What's your thoughts on Badiou Zaman Said Nursi? Uh, um, elegant Adam if I can um, say something, one of my pet peeves is this grammatical thing. What are your thoughts? Okay. On Badi'u Zaman, say Badi'u Zaman, that's what it is. Badi'u Zaman, right? The, the, the unique uh, person of the age, Badi'u Zaman. And I have a very good opinion of Badi'u Zaman. We have a podcast, it's three parts on evil in which the main uh, person in the podcast, his name is Naz. Naz gives most of his talks on evil on that podcast on the topic of, from the source of Badiou Zaman Said Nursi. So I have a very good opinion of him. And who, and, and who are we even to have an opinion of him? He's someone from the, the, the forebears of the Ummah. 
carried the ummah in a time of great darkness. His people, at least. Modern wisdom tells us, take responsibility for everything that thing that happens to you. What's Islamic view on this? And how do we reconcile the fact that Allah controls outcomes? I would say that you can't take responsibility for every certain thing that happens to you because certain things are completely uh, outside of your control. For example, if I get hit by a car at a red light, how do I take responsibility for that? Right? Do I? Do, I'm, I'm not blameworthy for having gone out and stopped uh, at that hour, right? I'm just going about my business, and someone hits me. So, but what we can do is we can say that we can control how we react to it. That's what I would say. Is is the method in in the Sharia is I can take I'm in complete control of of how my heart moves and what my f heart focuses on. I can focus on this guy he hit me. I can focus on I lost my car. I can focus on my back hurts. Or I can focus on who is who allowed all this to happen. Nothing happens without Allah allowing it to happen. Why did Allah allow it to happen? Who is Allah, first of all? He's Al-Hakim. He's the wise. Therefore, if he allowed it, there is a wisdom. What is a wisdom? A greater benefit later on. It doesn't have to be now. It may be very painful now, but there's a greater benefit later on. Now, my question is, what are the benefits? I'm going to go on a, a chase and a hunt now to find out what are the benefits. Because I know there is a benefit. Right? There's a great benefit in this. I'm going to look for the wisdom. Right, I have to look for it. Maybe I get to have a new car. Maybe that's the wisdom. Maybe the wisdom is, I'm going to cross paths with this person. We're going to exchange information. We may, never see, we may not see each other, but maybe five, four or five years from now, we'll see each other again. Maybe two years from now, we'll see each other again. Maybe there's something between me and this person that Allah wants us to know about it, one another. That's it, just to know about one another for the future. Maybe not. But... To the degree that you believe there's a wisdom, you'll find a wisdom. If you believe it's just, oh, it's just an incident that happened is meaningless, you won't find any wisdom. So that's uh, my my answer to that, is that we would say find the wisdom of this of this of what happened. All right, let's go to Frankie Gone eighty two. He's from Jeddah. Assalamu alaikum. Brian, what do you have? You need a teacher to study Aqidah. Oh, yeah. You definitely need a teacher for Aqidah. You definitely need a teacher. You were re reading from Surah Ali Imran, by the way. Where could they get a teacher? Uh, Arcview. I just said that one out. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a teacher from myarcview.org. We'll teach you, Phil. And Aqid and everything. Okay. Myarcview.org. Does listening to the Quran have the same reward as reciting it? The answer is yes. According to a direct hadith of the Prophet, the listener has the same reward as the reciter. The recitation has more learning. So in reward, there may be one thing, but learning, there's more learning. You're learning how to pronounce, you're learning, there's more struggle in the recitation. And there's more learning. Caitlin Johem says, can you tell us the best, most miraculous dhikr or salawats for fulfillment of dua? If you're sick, it's the dua of tibb al-qulub. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin 
اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم If it's for a need, it's Salat al-Kamila, which is also known as a Salat al-Nariya. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli salatan kamila wa sallim salaman tamman ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Al-Ladhi tanhalu bi al-Uqad, wa tanfarij bi al-Kurab, tuqda bi al-Hawaij, wa tunalu bi al-Raghaib, wa husnu al-Khawatim, wa yustasqa al-Ghamamu bi ajil kareem, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi. Allahumma salli wa sallim salatan kamila wa sallim salaman tamman. Allahumma salli salatan kamila wa sallim salaman tamman. I know I said it, it's a long one, but go to salawathub.org or .com, I can't remember. But the website is salawathub, and you'll see these salawats, and get busy. Busy yourself with those. But by the way, any salat on the Prophet Wasallam, it's, it's your sincerity in it that matters. It's not the wording, but it's your sincerity in it that matters. Does the Prophet Wasallam receive salawat at the exact moment we send them? Some said yes. Some said every Thursday. When is there a collab with Sheikh Hamza? Uh, about that. Please type the name from the book uh, the, the, uh, that you read the story from. It's called Bahrud Dumu'a. We've been reading from two books this, this month. Bahrud Dumu'a, beautiful book by Ibn al Jawzi, and The Call to the Believers by Allah Jami. He's a uh, Turkish scholar from the interwar period between world war one and world war two he wrote this book Naj says my son 15 years old he has down syndrome is he accountable for fasting and salah he's able to fast and does read the quran and pray to the best of his ability i understand that the people who have down syndrome oh ryan sorry to interrupt but the battery Um, what I understand is that Down syndrome, they're not mukallaf That's what I understand Nuh says Can you give zakat to family members back home? Yes you can, except If they are mother and father, you can't give them zakat You are obligated to take care of them And uh, Wife Not take zakat, you're obligated to take care of them And kids, you're obligated to take care of them But son, if your son has moved on and he lives his own life now, and he works, and he, but he's poor, you can give him zakat. Because your son, khalas, once he works and he's of age, you're not obligated to take care of him. Safat says, does the messenger receive salawat we send on behalf of a deceased Muslim? So what I understand of this is, and it's, it's, it's more accepted in the Shafi'i method than in the Maliki method, is that when you do good deeds, such as salah on the Prophet or your site Quran, you may intend or will the hasanat the good deeds to go to a deceased person so they will get those good deeds that's all i know about that revival of prophets what was the man's name in the story they didn't say they just said a worshiper from the bani israel caitlin says what's the simplest way to understand a tajalli and can you give an example of it well a very simple tajalli we can say is a tajalli from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is a big subject it's not some kind of light thing and one of my favorites, and that which is most reliable, and then Imam Jafar al-Sadiq talks about it a lot, and shaitan cannot penetrate this, 
is that when a person is reciting the uh, is thinking about a matter and then he picks up the mushaf for no other reason than to do his recitation he's not doing this this thing which is like gambling where let me open up to a random page and put a random word and that's my destiny no we we do not do that that's a type of gambling we just we do it's not part of our deen at all but you're thinking about something you're sort of concerned about it maybe you're making dua for it and then you decide to do your recitation and you pick up the mushaf and lo and behold where you left off the exact verse speaks about your situation or it gives it a bushra one of the verses of bushra the word bushra is good news that to me and to according to Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq is one of the greatest of tajalliyat because shaitan cannot come into the Quran for you right shaitan cannot get involved in that and it's not something you were looking for either like uh, we don't do this thing where okay i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to look for a random verse so that to me is one of the greatest ones that you should believe in and if you have trouble believing in it it's just the sins remove those sins and your iman will be strong all right ryan what do you got can someone pray wearing a wig? Can you pray wearing a wig? Inshallah, you can. Uh, next, uh, the polymath says, when's the next Safina Saidi podcast? It'll be in Shawwal, inshallah. Because Ramadan is very difficult to do anything at night, or if not outrightly impossible, but inshallah, it'll be in Shawwal. All right, Ryan, you're up. All right, longer question. <clears throat> what can be done if one has reached extreme stress, sadness, and anxiety where it leads them to be physically weak and tearful regularly, even in Ramadan and when making dua and praying? Extreme uh, anxiety and sadness. It is upon you to say the following. Allahumma ya hayu ya qayyum bi rahmatika astaghith wa min adhabika astajir. أصلح لي شأني كله ولا تكني إلى نفسي ولا إلى أحد من خلقك طرفة عين وصلي على حبيبك المصطفى سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما وأذهب حزن قلبي وجري يا ربي لطفك الخفي في أمري وأمور المسلمين That was very long, right? That was very long if you want the shortened version of that is Ya Hayu Ya Qayyum Salli ala Habibika al-Mustafa Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim Wa adhib huzna qalbi You will find yourself in a very short time Your status, your, your, your state changed You have to do this at least 40 times a day If not 400 Ya Hayu Ya Qayyum Salli ala Habibika al-Mustafa Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi it means means take away the sadness of my heart and to the degree that you're strong in your intention and you purify your heart this will work faster and if it doesn't work right away it will keep working at it it's you have veils here remove those veils the medicine works the medicine works guaranteed
Password unavailable says, how did the woman in the story come back to life? That's the karama from Allah. Mona says, doing good has to be for Allah's sake. Does avoiding bad have to be too? No. You can have a purely motiva worldly motivation for avoiding something wrong. You just, avoiding is not the same. So you're, so when I do something good, I'm doing it because I want the reward from Allah. Or I'm doing it for the love of Allah. Or I'm doing it from the, for the protection from Allah. One of three intentions. Or all three. I love Allah. I want Him to protect me. And I want something nice from Him. Okay? To keep me going. An appetizer before we get to paradise. May Allah get us there. But, so that's for doing good. For avoiding haram, you get the re result no matter what. So let's say someone says, I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to drink beer because I'm going to get a big stomach. He gets the result of not drinking beer, which is he didn't, he had, no sins are written against him and he keeps his intellect. Okay. And his salahs count. So he gets the result. The reward of not drinking beer is it's in a sense, it's a mujahada if you're attracted to it. And in reality, he, it does not just have to be for anything else, right? As long as you avoid it. It does not have to be with the same intention as doing good deeds. It doesn't. Any other motivation is enough. Just avoid it. That's enough. Okay. So that was a good question. All right, Ryan, you're up. What to do about having waswasa while you're in the state of wudu? Waswasa in the state of wudu you ignore your waswasa completely. If you get waswasa once a day, you are muwaswas, and therefore, you totally ignore your wiswas. Oro Blanco says, does Salat al-Tasabih have tashahud after the first two rakahs? Yes, it has tashahud in the second and fourth rakah. Safat says, would you agree with the quote, one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it? Sounds negative. I, I don't believe in any of these negative things. The Prophet said, we have a good opinion of Allah. But we do believe that if Allah wants something to happen, it's going to happen, right? We don't know what Allah wills. So you, we do our business and we make dua for what we feel and have assumed and estimated with our own brains is good for us and made istikhara and istishara and then we go for it. And if Allah wants something else, that's that's for Allah. What, what, that's not my business. It's, Allah, that's a, it's Allah's choice. Caitlin says, we know Allah does whatever he wants. How do we stop ourselves from falling into paralysis, feeling like nothing we do matters when Allah makes a final call out anyway? You don't know what the final call is, right? And you separate yourself from Allah's actions. What is your business with Allah's actions? Your business is with Allah's commands. And Allah has commanded, وَقُلْ اِعْمَلُوا Say, take action. Allah has said, take action. Allah has said, make dua. Allah has said, have a good opinion of me. That's your business. What Allah does is, that's his business. What is your business for? That's not your business, right? What Allah is going to do and will is not something you have to worry about. What you have to worry about is what Allah commanded you to do. He said, take action. He said, have a good opinion of me. He said, ask me and I will give you. So busy yourself with that. Can we take rulings from other madhabs if there's a need? Yes. If there's a hardship and a need. Is there any qawl in the Maliki madhab where dalk is not fard? Not that I know of. It is fard in all the books. 
the definition of washing is pouring water and rubbing at the same time. Are sins done in Ramadan weight heavier? Yes. Our aristocrat says that Abbasi is the life in the grave anything like the dunya. Uh, according to Imam al-Haddad, the best explanation I've seen about it is very hard to talk about life in the grave because we've never been spirits and not bodies. So uh, the spirit does not have a body in the barzakh. In the resurrection, it's given a new body so we can describe that. There's food, there's couches, there's people, etc. How is it with when we are souls without bodies? The time is different. Space is different. Everything is different. So Imam al-Haddad ends up saying that it becomes almost impossible to really speak meaningfully about something for which we have a zero reference point. Right, Ryan? Okay, that's fine. So many people today. Okay, mashallah. How do you deal with Ramadan burnout? And how do you discipline the nafs so you keep going when the nafs is trying to say that you've done enough ibadah? How do you deal with Ramadan burnout? I think it's extremely important that a person... Um, I think it's extremely important that a person, when they do ibadah, they're doing it with a group, and you're not, you don't necessarily have to push yourself to a limit that you can bounce back from. And that you can only know by your own personal experiences. Your own personal experience will know that I pushed myself too hard and now I'm about to bounce back. And so maybe you might have to go through one or two personal experiences in order for that to, uh, uh, for you to know that. So it's, we're not required to do that. We're not required to push ourselves so hard that we're going to bounce back. That's, you can rest. So my answer to the person is rest, eat food, rest up. Don't kill yourself. You're not obligated to kill yourself. All right. Uh, Ryan, by the way, if you're typing the questions, I can read them. I, I opened up YouTube here. Um, it's, I, think, I think they went into a big discussion on YouTube and kind of uh, hard to find the questions now. Okay. I found actually a couple now. I have a couple. Okay, go ahead. What's the view on Forex trading without interest involved? Um, I will have to... to, 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 to look into that because financial matters isn't my forte but i can look at sheikh taha abdul basir uh sheikh murad tafaddal junaid says um they're talking about the story any advice on wasting time and stop wasting time What's your advice, uh, Sheikh Murad? On someone says, "What's my advice on stop wasting time?" Allah, fill your time with good, then you won't be wasting time. Make a schedule, stick to it. If you slip up and you, uh, let's say, you made a schedule and you slipped up a couple of times, don't use that as an excuse to leave it all together. Just uh, if you fall down, get back up and uh, keep uh, being consistent with your schedule. Well, you know what I love? I love index cards. Yeah. And I, I always get index cards, always buy index cards. And then you write your schedule for the day or your schedule for like your routine. Like every day after Asr, yeah. I'm going to do this. Every day after Maghrib, I'm going to do this. And then yeah. I always look at it and I drill it in my head. Ryan, why is you cracking up? <laughs> because when Sheikh Murad came on. Yeah, what happened? You put your mouth so close to the mic and the, the thing was at the, the highest oh, yeah. level. <laughs> it's so loud. My apologies. <laughs> Mashallah, Murad has big vocal cords. He's got yes. a big voice. Okay. 
there's a some kind of big discussion going on YouTube. What's happened here? It was about the, the brothers cooking. Oh, okay. The brothers cooking. Yeah, I mean, even in the Sharia, you're not obligated. They're, they're older than you, right? All right, let me, let's me let get another perspective. Sister said, her mom is sick. She cooks for her mom. Khair. She has seven brothers. Two of them are older than her in her 20s, in their 20s, and then some of them are younger. I said, fine. The young one who's not allowed to touch the stove, you cook for him. You're like a second mom to him. Yeah. The 20-year-old? 20-year-olds? No way, bro. Well, do your own business, right? Go Let's make, go make yeah, some pasta. Go, yeah, do it yourselves. <laughs> or split the days, right? Split yeah. the days. Like in our household, we have days. This is so-and-so's day. Like any chore that comes up, it's your day. Yeah. Instead of we having a debate every single time, odd days, you. Even days, you. Like yeah. that. Or something like that. Or every Monday. It depends on how many kids you have, right? So it, by days. That means one day that one person gets to sleep on the couch while the suhoor is made. Yeah. Next day, I make the suhoor and the other person gets to sleep on the couch. One so, of the things I liked about the madrasa system, I remember when we were in Turkey, was every every we had so many guys. So basically once a month or like two times a month, you're either doing uh, food prep, yeah. cleaning up. Khidma. Khidma, basically, yeah. yeah. So you, you're never going to feel, you're never going to reach the state where you feel like, oh, people have to just serve me. Yeah. You know, no, you're going to have to chip in and, and, and there'll be guys cleaning the windows, vacuuming. Uh, everybody had something to do. Yeah, because yeah. you use the, the shared space. Yeah. So therefore, it's a shared responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea. Hiba says, lately I have this urgent desire to visit Mecca and Medina in the last days of Ramadan. I tried to get a spot, but still nothing. It seems to be happening. What mindset to keep? Well, you just keep trying and maybe you'll, you'll either make it this year or you make inshallah. it next year. Inshallah. Inshallah. Sadiq says, what is a good routine for the last 10 days? The last 10 days, you want to always make sure that you don't miss a, a, a long tahajjud, right? You're going to have your qiyam. You've been doing your qiyam, though. A long tahajjud is something you don't want ever to be wasted. That's my opinion on the last 10 nights, right? To be honest with you, I sometimes I get conflicted. Last 10 nights, there's so much amal in the masjid. We establish it in jama'ah. Sometimes there's no private time either. Yeah, right. So. People calling you like, oh, we're going to do Qiyam al Yeah. And it's like, you just want to do your own thing sometimes. We have Tarawih. Then we have a short break. Then we have Dhikr. Then we have a short break. Yeah. Then we have Tahajjud. Then we have a short break. And then we have Suhoor. So, you know, my only quiet time is the Sujood. Yeah. Or the Salah itself is my quiet time, my, my own personal time. So, uh, simply Sadaha, if there's a community that does something, the community often helps out with that. And, uh, yeah, tikaf is permitted for men and women if their situation is allowable. Hanafi madhab? Uh, a woman does tikaf in her house. Specific prayer. Okay, but you know in Gamko, where we went? Yeah. They told me they made a floor for the women's yatikaf. Oh. Huh. Yeah. And they're Hanafis. Yeah. Remember Gang Sharif? Yeah. So, so uh, sometimes women do an tikaf in their homes, right? Yeah. Because they to encourage to get it I going. mean, it's kind of good that they do in their homes too because at least they're bringing the barakah and the That's true. nur the and the rahmah in there. And the home needs barakah too, right? The home could yeah. not be like a graveyard yeah. with no salah in it. Yeah. Um, Sheikh says, so talk to your brothers and try to get them to understand it's unfair for the responsibility of their food to be on you yeah. and your sick mother when you yourself are also a college student. Maryam Sheikh, here's my advice to you. You're very nice, but that's not the way it's done. You know the way it's done? Simply don't do it. Yeah. Let them go hungry. 
right? <laughs> They'll adapt. <laughs> what we call is an Amr al waqa yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, like uh, uh, Hey guys, today you're getting a notice. I'm not making you suhoor. You go deal with yourself, yeah. right? And see what happens. You make your own two eggs, your yogurt, your milk, your, your water, you go off on the side. Bowl of cereal, man. Something's yeah. Go deal with yourselves. <laughs> iftar today, by the way, I'm making iftar for three. Me, my mom, and the little little brothers, right? Or or two or four, whatever. And you older ones who are rich bulugh, you yeah. know how to do everything, maybe even driving cars. Okay. Mashallah. I didn't it's not my haq on you. Yeah. So you guys deal with it now. So when they see that there's no food. You know, it's like waking up for sahur. Sometimes kids, they expect you to wake them up once and twice and three times, right? You know what I do this time? I'm waking you up once. I'm going to go start the sahur. I'm going to come back one more time. If you don't, you're going to fast on an empty stomach, right? Cool. Enjoy it then, right? Lips chafed, no water, falling asleep in class. Okay. Next time you wake up. Ryan. Uh, Yunus Awan saying, what is the extent to which we emulate the Prophet وسلم, in every single matter, like where he lived, how he lived? We imitate the Prophet وسلم, and our education on our followership of the Prophet وسلم, is not directly from the book to our lives. We're not the first person to emulate the Prophet in our time. There are other people in our time, right? Aren't there ulama in our time? So they know how to make these judgment calls of how do we imitate the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? So, um, for example, furnishing in the house. I've never had furnishing in the house. Maximum we had is these little pillows, right, on the floor. So we want that. We want to have the follow the Prophet in that respect. But at the same time, we may have family situations. We may have other situations that cause us to make some kind of compromise. You're not the first person in that situation. Go look at the shiuch and the mashayikh that are of your similar background that are maybe two decades or three decades older than you. See how they lived. Because they're living the sunnah just like you. So that's why we have a lived tradition of a chain of transmission of people also practicing the sunnah but dealing with their circumstances. So you may end up with one room is furnished according to the sunnah and the other room is for the accommodation for those who cannot sit on the ground, who don't know how to sit on the ground, yeah. if they come to the house and they sit on the ground, the purposes of liyafa would not be met, right? For example, can you imagine some of these older, I mean, you're from Syria, right? You're Circassian, but Syrian. Mm -hmm. Some of these older Syrian secular, oh, can you please press that a little better? Oh, Ryan's got it. Can you imagine some of these uh, uh, do you imagine some of these older Syrian women, right? Who no. have nothing to do with the deen? I thought you were about to say older Syrian men. No. <laughs> well, I was like, no, they wouldn't. Let, let's say these grandmas, right? Yeah. And you come and say, oh, we're having dinner on the floor today. No, no. Here's the chicken. And she's like, well, where's the fork and knife? No fork and knife. Well, I'll give you 10 fingers. Eat. What's going to happen? Right? That's like you're, imagine you married a Syrian or a Philistine and her grandmother and you put her in that situation. Isn't that going to be a fitna for you? Yeah, it would be. And it's going to be a fight. And it's, 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 it's adab too. Right, you know that she can't sit on the ground. You know she can't eat with her hands. You'd kind of be like also defeating the purpose of bringing people to the sunnah because That's what it is. you'd be you you're not cognizant of people's uh, state states or levels. Yeah, and now you're actually forcing them to, or you're trying to make them do something they're not really 
don't have that much knowledge or experience about, and they're actually making them feel weird about uh, these blessed sunnas. And, yeah. uh, you know, so and it's forced you're on. defeating the purpose. You know, you want people to yeah. love, even if they can't perform the sunnas, at least love it and not object to it and not exactly. say anything about it. And you're forcing them in the presence of other people. It's not like yeah. they're alone trying to do it, right? And on top of that, what is the goal of Diyafa? Isn't Diyafa is also a sunnah? Yeah. To be a to be a host, for example, to make your guests feel comfortable—that's the whole point. Exactly. So you you comfort them on their level, not on your level. So if that means uh, forks and knives and chairs and tables, then so be it. So that's where, for Eunice's question, you're not the first person to want to follow the Sunnah in the West. So look at those who are slightly older than you, right, and see how they did it, because they face the same exact situation as as you're going to face. Samira has a plot twist. Oh, this is definitely a plot twist. They don't mind cooking for themselves, but my mom won't allow it. Oh. Wow. I think all moms have that. Wow. The one thing they're like, when you try to help them in the kitchen, they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't but, so, but she wants the sister to do all the cooking. Fine. So the mom wants the sister to the do it. The mom wants the sister. Fine. Okay. okay. How's this? All the cooking. You guys do all the cleaning. That's yeah, a fair shake. That's fair, yeah. Fair shake. I'll do all the cooking, and they do all the cleaning. All right. What other questions we have here? I'm going to head back to the Instagram and see what's going on. Is there a situation where a sin was committed? Is there wisdom to situations where a sin was committed? And Toba was made. When a, when a person commits a sin, it is forbidden for us to say, Qaddar Allah. Right? Even though our aqidah is that everything is by Allah's qada and qadr. But we don't blame our sins upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And said, so the qadr made me do it, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me do it. That's the way of Iblis. But if you've made Toba, Okay, then in general, your entire past, you can say, had the qada or muqadr. Right? Because you've already admitted your sin and you made the tawbah. We have a caller. We have a caller? Who's he calling? Uh, what line? I have his number. You want me to send him the phone number? Yeah. The phone number or you want his? Huh? You want to just have his number? Here, give me the phone. I'll type in his phone number. Yeah. Okay. In the meantime, if someone thinks you have done wrong to them, but you think you haven't done them wrong, when will this be held against the person in the Day of Judgment? If well, two people are in a conflict, Allah Ta'ala will solve that conflict on the Day of Judgment. He will be the judge of that conflict. Nuh Yahya says, friend considers himself Salafi. It's not good. <laughs> and considers the practice of group dhikr bad. Response. Don't do it. No one's forcing you. You've deprived yourself. But the uh, the adilla are, are, are very well known. And the benefits are very well known. Siuti. And we have a course on this. Assalamu alaikum. Who do we have here? Uh, this is Hamid. I'm uh, HBaz on the live stream. Oh, HBaz. MashaAllah. Hamid. Uh, from... First of all, I'd like to thank you. My mother and I have been watching the live stream for months now, ever since you got the new studio. And it's been a great benefit. Oh, that's amazing. MashaAllah. That's wonderful. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. 
Yes, I'm here. Did I hit mute? Oh, sorry, I hit the mute button by accident. But thank you very much, and that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Okay, so my question is a follow-up to what I asked about law school. So I made a Sifara. I made a Sifara. I visited law schools. I visited students. I spoke to them. And subhanAllah, I, I still, I'm still on the fence. I, I don't know what, what else to do. You continue uh, praying istikhara. When you're on the fence, you continue to do those processes. Dig deeper. Do more istikhara and keep digging deeper. In other words, second round of talking to people from those places. In general, istikhara and istishara, they're not, you're not done with it until Allah makes it crystal clear for you. Your heart is settled. And your heart is settled, right? And your heart is settled usually with a reason. Like usually something of this world that you can actually objectively speak and, and speak about uh, manifests or hap or happens, right? So that's that's one of the things that you have to take into consideration is that the idea that um, uh, that um, Allah has not you're not done doing your istikhara. Maybe He wants you to do more salah, more dua, so that He can open up for you and and just uh, uh, give you the sign afterwards. And the sign is usually something that's going to happen that's physically in this world, objectively, that will make you say this one over the other one. That's the concept of istikhara and istishara. Mm. Yeah. And when it comes to, so I have a deadline, obviously, when I have to choose these schools. Yeah. Uh, it's, of course, it would be improper manners to be rushing a lot, but how can I kind of work with what you're saying, but then also be mindful of a deadline? No, it is permissible for you to say, oh, Allah, I have a deadline. Show me a sign by the, before this time. Make it clear to me before the deadline. That's there's nothing haram about that. That's not considered yeah, rushing. Yeah, please keep me in your dos, of course. Inshallah. Chicago, Chicago, inshallah, definitely. Uh, I always like to go out to Dar es Salaam, and those brothers are really not, really nice, and they uh, uh, account, always accommodating. So, inshallah, when anytime we're out there, you'll know from the social media. Inshallah, Jazakallah khairan. A sister or a brother named Amuna says, are you allowed to make dua in Arabic in Fad prayers? Now, I've had so many questions on this. Are you allowed to make dua in the Fad prayer? Is this something in the Hanafi Madhab that you're not allowed to make dua? Um, in the place of sujood, yeah. um, I remember our teachers would tell us that uh, if, you're, if it's a Fad prayer, and you're making sujood, you're making dua in sujood, they actually um, kind of uh, caution against it. Against uh, in the fard prayer. Anything though. that's not a masnoon dua. Yeah, and then especially if it's not a masnoon dua, for example, uh, if you make dua, oh Allah, Allahumma zawajni fulana, or for example, oh Allah, let me marry so and so. If you're basically making dua where you're asking Allah for something you can ask the creation from, right? I can I can technically ask someone, hey, can you marry me your daughter? I can technically ask someone, hey, give, can you give me this car? So that's why the safest thing is if you're going to make dua in uh, salah, it should be a masnoon dua, dua okay. from the Quran or something. And that's why I say, laysim in kalam an nas. Laysim in kalam an nas, exactly, yeah. Because kalam an nas is something I can ask another person. I can ask the nas. I can okay. say, Krami, you know, can you give me this? Okay, so, um, and then nafila. Yeah, in the nafila, there's more, uh, there's more, uh, it's more lax, so you could be making dua in your sujood, but okay. uh, preferably keep it a masnoon dua. So that's why the ahnaf are saying that. So if you're a Hanafi, you've heard the Hanafi answer. Yeah. And 
if you're not a Hanafi in the Maliki Madhab, we don't have this concept. You're allowed to make dua, any kind of dua, and you're also allowed to make it outside the Arabic language as well, in the language of your ability, whatever you're able to. Our, the cell phone's about to die, unfortunately. But Ryan, what do you have? <clears throat> question from Suhaib Arwan now. Mm-hmm. Following up on his son's question, did the Prophet encourage his ummah to expand oh the ways things are expressed and done? Can you repeat it? Did the Prophet encourage the ummah to expand the ways that things are expressed and done? For sure, the um, ways of the, the, the da'wah, we should use every means possible based on the Quranic verse, وَأَعِدُّوا لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ and by saying ribat al-khayl shows tools mm-hmm. it's a reference to tool ribat al-khayl means and the horses and the and the way that you use horses is pointing to a tool so we 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 are obligated as a general fad kifaya uh, to use the tools that allah give us mm-hmm. right someone in the ummah must give dawah on the mediums that we're using here it's not fard ayn upon everybody, but fard kifaya, that the da'wah will be done in any place that it, uh, uh, that it can be done, right? So that's why we have to use every means possible, whether it's uh, using, you know, Zoom, live streaming, all these things. And Habib Omar says that Allah has not created a single, when it comes to technology, a single means of communication between the bashar and the khalq, except that its chief purpose is to spread tawheed. Hmm. Yeah, because that's the greatest benefit that a person could have is to know that they have a creator with these attributes, this, these sifat. Then it releases you from so many anxieties and limitations. Okay. Let's only take uh, one more from Instagram and one more from Ryan. So let's read through these and we're going to see which one is the, you know, the broadest question. All right, Ryan, what do you have? This one is an interesting question. What do the scholars say about disobeying istikhara after it's been made clear to you with a response to istikhara? Hmm. What do you think about What's the question exactly? Disobeying istikhara. If an istikhara was made clear to you and you disobey it. I mean, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his mercy has made something clear to you that this is the proper thing for you to take and you don't take it, then... It's like turning away from a a sadaqah that he has given you, a rahmah that he has given you. I just think it's very foolish. And you have to remember that al-khiratu fi makhtarahullah. The best thing, the best decision is what Allah chooses for you. The best thing, Allah knows what's best for you. Mm-hmm. So if Allah is telling you this is what's best for you, and then you you decide you're going to do the opposite, it's as if you're thinking you know better. So I just, I think it's very foolish if you... I also think then, why did you make istikhara in the first yeah, place? Yeah, why did you? <laughs> the whole point of istikhara is that you're resigning your decision to Allah's knowledge. Yeah. So, what, you know, it just doesn't make sense to go against what... Uh, you just have to trust that Allah knows what's best for you and follow through. That's it. And one thing that I really uh, don't like is to think about a matter, come to a conclusion, make a decision, a thought-out decision with istikhara, istishara, etc., and then change my mind. Yeah, because now next time I make a decision, I won't trust myself. Yeah. So I like the idea that if I make a decision, I'm going to fo- see it through. I don't care how long it's going to take. I'm not going to give it up. Even if I have to pause, if I get tired of it, if I have some setbacks, 
but we're still going, right? Because that means next time, if I did that, let's say I did worked on it for two years, then I quit. The next time I'm working on something and I'm, and I'm on the second year, I said, well, how do I know I might quit, right? Yeah. You can't trust yourself anymore. So if you stick with something, and it's the same thing with like a plate of food. I have this habit. No matter what the plate of food is, I finish the whole plate, right? <laughs> if it's just one of those things about like from wasting, not yeah. wasting food. Yeah. So I put the cereal here. Why do I put it and then throw it away? Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly negating myself then, right? If I put this amount of food in my plate, I'm going to eat the whole plate. If someone else put it for me, that's a different story because I didn't do it. But anything that you start, yeah. you want to finish it. Yeah, It's a great habit to have. And also, I'll tell you another great habit to have. If you start any action, don't do a second action at the same time. Like, for example, if you say, okay, I'm going to read a chapter. Don't check your text messages. Finish the whole chapter. Yeah. No matter what happens, finish the whole chapter. If the whole world is burning down, finish that whole chapter before going on to the next thing. Yeah. And in fact, I think that it is an insult to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be doing a bada and dhikr and then checking the cell phone and texting and doing that at the same time. I think it's a subtle insult yeah. to the creator that his dhikr, his remembrance is worthy of being double tasked. Therefore, then maybe your du'a won't be answered for that reason. Yeah. You're not paying attention to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, you know, his name is mentioned and you're double tasking. Now there is multitasking is okay if you're listening to something not Quran and doing something else like a chore, right? And if the chore is mindless, then it can be Quran because you're still able to focus 100% while driving, for example, right? Or some mindless task, you can listen to the Quran. Um, listening and reciting Quran, they both have the same reward, but we said listening, uh, reciting has more benefits, uh, more learning benefits. Um, what do I do when I pray behind a Wahhabi Imam? Well, sh according to some of the Mauritanians, they pray with their own intention. They say the movements will match the Jama'ah because we have no other choice, but we're going to have our own intention and we are not praying behind the Imam, we're praying Munfarid. Uh, then. My friend said to me, people in your religion get angered so easily and are intolerant. How should I better respond to him that could change his mind? We get angry when people insult the Prophet and we're intolerant for insulting the Prophet and that's a sign of faith and belief. We're not... Let me ask you this. If you're in a house and that house is on fire and some people say, no, no, we're just going to sit here. Is that tolerance to accept that? Or do you use everything in your power to get them out of the house? This house is on fire. So sometimes there's a reason for being intolerant. At this moment, we're, in, we're not tolerant of somebody. He's going to kill himself. He's going to harm himself. And he's going to harm others. He's spreading. Hey, guys, don't believe him. It's not a real fire. Stay where you put. Stay put. It's not a real fire. So if there's a building on fire, and there's a fire on the, uh, on the, on the top floor, and which you know is going to fall into the bottom floor. And the people of the bottom floor, they don't feel the heat. They don't see it. Mm. And they say, nah, it's okay. Right? There's no fire. Don't believe him. Are we going to say, let's be tolerant of differences of opinion? Of course not. <laughs> right? There's no difference of opinion here. Right? This is a complete uh, a danger to your existence. So certain things we're not tolerant of. Yeah. Right? Uh, for the Instagrammers, uh, the phone died. But... Um, We will, you can pick up on YouTube.
All right, a brother says, how do you heal your heart from heartbreak because the person I love married somebody else? I really believe that, <laughs> I really believe that a dhikr, a sakina is a shifa. Yeah, sakina is a shifa. Sakina, when you bring it down to your heart, is a shifa. Also, you have to remember yourself that, uh, remind yourself that whatever Allah destined to reach you, nobody's going to take, and whatever he destined not to reach you, you're never going to get. It's part of our iman to believe that, that whatever whatever reaches the whatever reaches the servant whatever is destined to be yours no one is going to take yeah so if this person ended up marrying someone else and you wanted that person just understand that that person was not written for you and the person that you are going to marry is going to be yours and no one's going to take that person away from you. and and we can also say that's your destiny now yeah. you don't know in 2 years she may the situation may change. Possibly. I wouldn't necessarily, though, live my life based yeah, upon yeah, yeah. I wouldn't live my life based upon that. Two years, things may change. So I won't get married and yeah. sit there waiting if she's divorced. Yeah. Right? Um, she gets divorced or if her husband dies, I wouldn't sit there waiting for that. Yeah. Work according to what's happening right yeah. now, currently taking place. And if something, it's uh, in your heart, Allah knows what's in your heart, but you can't live based upon that. That's what's yeah. important. All right, we have to stop here. The Instagram phone has died, unfortunately. So, Jazakumullah khairan, everyone. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Walasr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum